This is Financially Fit with Coach Hill, the podcast where you learn to train your money like a pro athlete trains for success. I'm Coach Hill, personal finance expert and money coach to the NFL. I took everything I've learned from coaching pro athletes for the last 10 years and founded Financial Footwork. This is to help you become more financially fit, find your success with money, and live the lifestyle you want with the money that you've got. In 2022, I got an email from the LA Rams Director of Player Engagement, Jacques McClendon. He included someone on this email and said, I have to talk to this person. I have to meet this person because he is sincerely one of the best in the biz, a super connector, a leader, a mentor, an author, and an all-around badass. I would like to introduce you to my friend, Ira Childress, with LSU. He is the Director of Player Engagement for LSU Football, one of the most coveted football programs in the country. Ira, thank you for joining me. Hillary, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to talk to you because your journey is super cool. People don't really know what you do. Um, and you have a superpower that most people would kill for, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But I want to start with who you are, where you came from. So your journey from college football to landing at LSU as the director of player engagement for the entire football team. So walk me through that. Tell us a little about you. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm just, it's just, I'm blessed to be here. It's been a long journey. Um, I'm from Michigan. Um, I'm from a, um, a town in Michigan called Baldwin, Michigan. Just an amazing place. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough, it's an amazing place and it's a tough place because it's one of those places where, um, you know, people really struggle financially. It's the um, poorest county in the state of Michigan. But I'm just, you know, blessed that um, my mom was able to, um, you know, give me great vision and, and, and give me great love and support to, to help me um, along my journey. And then from there, I went on to uh, Fair State, had an opportunity to be a student athlete there and play college football. Um, really enjoyed that. Um, and then went on to get my master's degree there as well. And, and then the rest is, uh, the rest is history, as they say. I, I mean, I've been in, working in athletics for the last uh, 15 years or so. So where did you start when you got into athletics? You got your master's, which in and of itself is a huge feat. A lot of people never get to that. So you got your master's. Then what happened? Then I went on to uh, work at Fair State University. Um, I was doing some fundraising things. I was doing some things in athletics. Um, and I enjoyed that role and some things in alumni relations. And I enjoyed that role. And I kind of had several different roles over the, over the next five years working at my alma mater. And then I got a call one day from a, um, from a headhunter. And they said, listen, um, all the, the great things you're doing at Fair State, we feel like you'd be a great fit at the NCAA national office. And I was like, wow, okay. Um, you know, obviously I knew what the NCAA was, but I, I didn't, you know, know people were watching the work that I was doing. So um, I went there for an interview, didn't know anyone. And the interview went really, really well. And I got invited back for another interview. And then um, the rest is, as, as they say, is history. I ended up going there and being um, assistant athletic director for student athlete uh, development at the NCAA. Um, so that was really, really cool and, and, and had an opportunity to, to work there for several years. And, um, after working there, I went on back to Michigan to be an, an, an athletic director at a big, big high school there. And, and then I went down to, from there, I went to Miami, Florida and had an opportunity to be, um, athletic director at Gulliver Prep there. 
Um, and then from there, I went to uh, Dartmouth College and an opportunity to uh, work there. Um, and then now I'm here at LSU. I mean, I fast forward through a lot of things there and we'll go back. That's 15 but, years but, of uh, career that's kind development. Of, that's, yeah, that's kind of like uh, my career trajectory. Yeah, I love it because you prefaced with 15 years. I mean, you didn't do this all in a matter of three years. This was right. absolutely a process. You showed your track record. You showed what you could do and how you could do it. And then you went in and made an impact in multiple different organizations. And then when Brian Kelly came to LSU, you were what his right hand. He picked you. He picked um, Doc and he said, you guys have to come with me. And that speaks to the level of impact you make with every single guy in that locker room every day. And you did come from the NCAA. So I want to touch base a little on NIL. It's a, as you know, a big topic in the space. People think they know a lot about it, but there's, there's so many people trying to get into the space. What is your opinion on the recent changes that the NCAA has actually put in so that college athletes can use their name, image, and likeness? How do you, how do you approach that as a director and how is it impacting the locker room? Yes, I think it's great. Um, I think student athletes being able to use their name, image, and likeness is something that that, that we're excited about and we've really embraced. And we have a um, a great overall NIL program here at LSU led by uh, Taylor Jacobs. Um, we have an NIL office, um, and they do an, a tremendous job of educating our student athletes on the NIL space. And I think that's the biggest thing about it. Um, obviously, everyone wants to focus on the money that student athletes are able to earn, and that's great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but you, you must educate them. We must educate them on, you know, the, the, the potential pitfalls, as we know, and then also just opportunity to really learn more about the space because it is relatively new. It's only, um, you know, a few years old. So everybody's kind of learning it together, but, but we really have been proactive, you know, from an education standpoint because we want to set our student athletes up for success. You know, here, obviously, with LSU football, we've, we've talked about NIL in various ways and, and, and including um, bringing in a financial uh, person who is one of the best financial people in the business to come in and talk about taxes and and that sort of thing because those who, are who things are that you people, talking about yeah right 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 <laughs> her name's Hillary you know but uh, those are the, those are the things that people aren't necessarily talking about as much as you don't see on the front pages are you know the education pieces like understanding the, you know your taxes and understand how that works understanding you know, you know, deductibles and all the things that goes along with it. So the NIL is awesome and it's great. I think it's even better with wrapped in a good education about the whole process. I agree. And it's 18 to 22 year olds learning very, very quickly because they've never had this. I mean, they've never even had money really. And now they're coming into an opportunity where they can earn just off of their name, just off of who they are as a person. They can earn millions. Uh, I saw today on Boardroom that your basketball player, I don't know her name, but she's all over front pages. She is the highest paid NIL female athlete in the country with a $2 million NIL deal. That is crazy. And it's exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, a lot of our student athletes are doing well. Obviously our basketball program, uh, women's program just won a national championship. So anytime you win, um, at that high of level, there's going to be great opportunities, you know, in the NIL space. But overall, here at LSU, all of our student athletes are doing really well in the NIL space. Obviously, specifically football, we're, we're doing really, really well there too. But again, I think 
the best thing that we're doing is we're embracing it. Um, we're doing everything above board within the NCAA rules. And we're also educating our student athletes on how to really not, not only understand the NIL space, but but how to think long term and, and, and make moves. It's not necessarily just, you know, in the short term, but being able to educate them on the, on the long on the long run. And also, you know, the, the tax implications of it, being able to give them those, that education as well. So I think, you know, the, and also understanding how to, you know, market and brand yourself. That, that That's really, really big. So this space, Hill, is, is exciting and it's something that's great. Um, used in the right way. We j- you just have to make sure that it, the education component is there. And I know I keep saying that, but that is so important. I think it is because if you're left to your own devices and you don't know what you don't know, you can make mistakes. But if you have some guidance and a roadmap, especially when it comes to money or choosing the right financial team, um, choosing the right deals, which requires an agent or a marketing firm to help you, just it, if you don't know it, and you've never been exposed to it before, I always say this, how are you supposed to know what you don't know? And NIL being that it is so new to us, this isn't the NCAA that's been around for years and years and decades and decades. This is something that's brand spanking new and it's uncharted territory for the most of us, for all of us. And we're trying to learn it as we go, but also make sure that the players don't get lost in the shuffle. Um, and because they are earning money and you, you said, I want to pivot to it, marketing and branding. It's a massive piece of what a lot of these players are doing. Some of them may make it big in, you know, national football league and the NBA, all of those things. A lot of them won't, but because they're learning the skills that come with marketing and branding, they can use those tools off the field for the next piece in their career. And it's a big proponent. You're a big proponent of marketing and branding because you're a super connector. And so because you work with players, you're a super connector, you know, everybody all over sports, which is, it's so cool. Just watching your kind of network. I would love to see a map and just like you in the middle and all the different people that you know everywhere um, because it's incredible what you've done in 15 years. But how do you utilize that super connector power and your marketing and branding background to help your players develop a brand or mentor them to find it. Yeah. One of the things we always talk about is understanding, you know, who you are and what your core values are. So you have to develop those, you know, obviously yourself and early on, but we, we, we can help them, you know, walk them through that process. Then once you get your core values, you know, what do you want your brand to be? And is your brand, is the brand line up with the goals that you have? So we have to make sure those all are in alignment because that that's very important. And also, you know, understanding that, you know, you want to be authentic to your brand on and off mm-hmm. social media. That's something we always talk about with, with student athletes. So just, you know, what are your what are your core values? What are the core values, obviously, you know, of where, what you want to do? What is it like for the football pro? You know, what you know, obviously, they, you know, they have to be aligned with, you know, what, what we're doing here from a football program standpoint. But but at the same time, um, you know, we want people to, you know, have individuality and be themselves, you know, but but also we want them to, you know, show them, you know, the, the right way to to brand and market themselves, you know, and that's something that, you know, we we do and we help with in experts to to really work with our student athletes on that, that branding and marketing piece online, because, you know, that's something that, need, you know, that can be learned and that should be learned. And it can obviously help your value when it comes to NIL, you know, that's one of the things that 
that you know companies look at and say, well, you know, what is your online presence like? You know, what is your what is your brand like online? You know, and so those are the things that you know obviously we talk to our student athletes about. But it's a fun it's a fun process and it's exciting for them because it gives them something outside of football to really you know hone in. Obviously, football academics and you know all the things they need to get done here. But but then this gives them you know something else to to focus on. But it is a responsibility, and, and we also talk about that side of it too. That you know you you have to be careful and you have to be you know intentional about the things you're doing and you know and understand that you know there's some positive and negative that are always going to come with you know the online piece you know um and, and how do you handle that and we you know we talked to them about not engaging with anything negative online you know and really focusing on you know what they're trying to do and and that sort of thing. So it's it's a it's a big thing, but we really try to develop our student athletes here um, holistically at LSU. I love that. That's the perfect word, holistically. And you've alluded to it several times. You said education programming, LSU's NIL programming, at least for the football team. What I've seen is so robust. You guys have career development days. You bring in professionals from every walk of life and every aspect of business to help these guys really understand what they're up against and what they have to do, which I think is part of what people don't understand about student athletics is it is a responsibility. Once you become a member of LSU football, you are now representing the LSU brand, not just yourself, but the brand. And you have entered into a work agreement, whether you sign something or not, there is an, a responsibility by each athlete that walks in that building every day to put in the work, do it the right way, perform off the field and on the field in a very proper manner. I don't want to say you have to do everything perfectly right all the time, but there's an expectation that other students coming into university that aren't name, image, and likeness, that aren't on a sports team, they don't really have to worry about that. And I think it's important that we touch on that because I get a lot of people say, oh, they're making so much money, it doesn't matter. I said, there's a lot, there's a lot of responsibility it comes with performing at a high level. And I love that you touched on it, especially from a marketing and branding piece. But I want to pivot now because I want to talk about your book. I love that you wrote a book about beating the odds and that you live by it. So tell me about your book and what inspired you to write it. Yeah, I just wanted to write something for young people um, and older people, but really young people out there who may have grown up in a situation like I grew up in, um, in you know, coming from a tough background, um, you know, the poorest county, as I mentioned earlier, in the state of Michigan, and just, you know, being able to dream outside your surroundings. And that, that was really what the book was all about. You know, it took you through all the trials and tribulations and ups and downs, you know, of my life. And, you know, statistics to say, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here at LSU. I shouldn't be an assistant athletic director. I shouldn't have made it out of really out of my neighborhood if you look at the statistics. So that's what I wanted to write a book to inspire young people to understand that, hey, you know what? If you put in hard work and you have some vision and you have people who love and support you and you keep going and you have that perseverance, you can make it too. And you can you can get out of those tough surroundings because a lot of times, you know, we can look at something or read about something or say, you know what, boy, that, that's awesome over there that these kids made it out or, or you know, or, or that's tough that they didn't make it out. But 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 if you haven't walked in those shoes, truly, you don't know what it's really like. 
And that's what my book was explicitly saying, hey, this is what it's really like to walk in these shoes, you know, in, in an underprivileged environment and really have so many odds stacked against you from the start. You know, it's one thing to start, you know, with a head start, but it's another thing to start behind the eight ball. And that's no one's fault. That's that's the way, you know, that's just kind of what you're born into. Um, and it's not, you know, my, my mom did an amazing job and my family did you know, a great job of doing the best that they could. But but they were, you know, they had tough situations that they were born into. So it's just it's kind of a cycle. You know what I mean? And so, you know, to break that cycle, you have to really, you know, it, it takes a lot. And so a person that's reading that book, I hope that they can say, you know what, I'm really inspired um, I can do it too. If he can do it, I can do it. And that's, that was what it was, you know, all about. I mean, I found myself even back when I was, I was at Dartmouth and I was walking around, I was talking to people and I just, you know, I picked up the phone. I just called my mom and said, man, mom, you know, I'm, I'm in the Ivy league here, you know, and I'm talking to all these people and doing all this stuff and making all these things happen. And it's like so far removed from 619 Cherry Street, where I grew up at. It, it's like a world that you, you know, a world away, you know? And so those are the things that, you know, we don't often talk about, but but but, but that's real life. And the other thing, you know, that I talked to, touched on in the book was, you know, this trauma that we go through, you know, um, poverty is trauma. <laughs> and so if you don't really understand how to deal with that, um, it'll come back and, and, and haunt you in different ways in life. So those are things you have to navigate through. And hopefully people on the outside world, you know, that don't come from that world, don't come from those environments, can really be more empathetic and understanding and try to work with people and say, you know, and let them know that, you know, they can do it. You know, it, it may not, they may be, not be able to do it on the first try, or they may not be perfect and get everything right. But they can do it, you know, with the right encouragement and the right support. I agree. I like that you said poverty because that word is an incredibly important word because they're in money psychology. Poverty mentality is actually a very big topic and it can cause divorce. It can cause lack of communication. It can cause spending problems when you get older. It can put you into debt. Um, but it can also be the reason that you don't do things. It can hold people back. And I love that in your book, you are vulnerable. You give the real. It's not sugar-coated at all. Everything you went through is very on the table. Your heart is there. Your feelings were there. But it also explains or at least lets someone into the picture of what it actually feels like to live in that. And if you've never lived in it and you don't know it and you don't understand it and you can't empathize with it because you've never been exposed to it, your book lets people see that. And working with, we work with guys from all walks of life. We have very, very poor men that walk into our locker rooms and we have very well-off men that come in from great households and they do have that head start. And to be able to bring them into a room and help them understand how the other communicates about money is a game changer. And I think your book kind of, gives us an ability to step into that and then have the conversations, which is what makes you so great at your job because you can approach every aspect of the guy in the locker room and help them and show them the path because you've lived all the different paths and Correct. you've grown through all those paths. Not a lot of people have that. And that's why I loved your story and I wanted you to share it. So before we wrap up today, because this was 
wonderful. And I know people are going to take something from your story and what you've been able to do. Um, go fi- follow Ira on LinkedIn because he posts some fantastically motivational stuff, things that people should just be seeing every day. Um, but I want you to leave us with something that maybe you do every day. I like to ask everyone on my show, what is your number one best financial practice? Now, this could be for things you tell the players, or this could be just something you do in your life on a regular basis to keep your money game in check. You know, I always ask myself before any major purchases, you know, if I do I really need it? If so, why do I, do I want it? And then, you know, the third thing is, is what financial impact will this have down the road? So those are three things that I ask myself. And that's really kept me out of, you know, you know, doing too much sometimes because I think you're right. I mean, I, you know, when I first, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you a quick story. I'll end with this Tell story. me, I love stories. When I, when I first I got my first full-time job in college at Ferris State University, you know, of course I didn't have a lot of bills. I was making, you know, I thought I was rich. I was making a lot of money. <laughs> you know, I think it was, I think it was ended up being like $40,000 or whatever it was. So it wasn't rich, but it felt rich to me, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a ton of bills. And and I and I remember telling my mom, I said, I'm going to get a new car. She's like, Oh, okay, that's fine. So I went and got um, a Range Rover, and oh, that was the hot thing back then. And so I had this car, and you know, I was tooling around campus and super excited. Okay, that's great. And so one day, the, you know, the Range Rovers they go up and they they go down when you park them back then. And so one day I came out to my car and it wouldn't go up, you know, because I hit the button and it usually goes, zoop, zoop, you know, I used to always like to impress people with, by doing that. And um, and so essentially it wouldn't go up. So I had to, you know, take it into the, to the dealership, or whatever. Okay, get it fixed. And I think it was the air suspension or whatever. But, you know, the guy said, hey, we can, you know what, we have the parts, we can, we'll have this by this afternoon. So no worries. So I, so I came back. So, okay, great. Um, and so when I got back to the dealership, a guy, you know, he said, hey, got it done. I said, oh, awesome. Great. And he said, um, that'll be $4,500. And he said it with a straight face. And he said, you know, he said it really, you know, smooth. And my heart hit my stomach. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is all the money I have in my savings is all going to go to this. I don't have any more money. <laughs> <laughs> and so I called my mom and I was all crying and all this stuff. And she was like, look, I told you not to get that car. Whatever. <laughs> so I just spent all this money to, to get this thing fixed. I said, mom, he didn't even, you know, like brace me or say, hey, I got to tell you. She said, no, because if you have a Range Rover, then he's just expecting you can afford it. And it's not you can afford the upkeep of it and all this. <laughs> and so oh to make a long story short, I sold that very quickly after that. And, uh, you know, and so that that's that that kind of was my introduction to saying, OK, I need to think about the long term, you know, not just, oh, yeah, I can afford this right now. But what happens, you know, from a long term aspect of it? So that was a funny story at the time. And it's, I mean, it wasn't funny at the time. It's funny now. But, you know, it's like 20 years ago. But but it's just one of those things <laughs> that uh, you just, you know, never know. But the reason why I got that card, I will say, because it was like you, you touched on it earlier. It was my way to say to the world, look, I've made it. You know, because I saw people, you know, on movies and TV when I was growing up, if they made it, they had really nice cars. You know, people yep. who had made it 
you know, I said, boy, look at that car. That was the first thing I noticed, you know. So I wanted to say to them, look, I made, I got a nice car, you know. But um, but then I learned that, you know, it's much more to it than that. So anyways, yeah. that was a long story, but, but just kind of a, a funny story that, that kind of made me be more financially fit, if you will. <laughs> I love that. No, that's a perfect story because that happens every day to everyone. Because in our minds, our society has programmed us that if you make it, there's three things that you get. A nice car, a big old house, and like six dogs. Because <laughs> society, everybody's made it as dogs, right? right? I always think that's kind of funny. But it's about half of our population actually views things that way, which is nuts. Um, but having the nice house, having the big car, and having the job. That's really the third right. thing is the job, not the dogs. But but having the job, the one with the great title. And I've always been of the mind that I don't care what my title is as long as it pays my bills, right? Because the title doesn't matter because the title doesn't pay your bills. And the car doesn't pay your bills. The house doesn't pay your bills. But when we're in that mentality of we have to show we've made it, those are the things we buy based on what we're doing. And I love your story. And I know that resonates with every one of your guys because the moment you tell them that, they're like, oh yeah, I would do that too. Might be a different type of car now, but they get it. And so again, little life stories that make a huge difference. Oh, I love that your light went out. <laughs> LSU is doing this to us. I love it. But thank you for coming on. I appreciate your insight. I know people are going to love your book. So go pick up Ira's book and thank you for joining me, my friend. Thank you. Have a great day. If you want to fast track your money training like the pros, go grab my ultimate beginner budget course, which is our 12 week financial fitness program with all the weekly workout routines and coaching you need to start getting financially fit today. See you soon.